0: welcome, not just those who are in this room, but all those who are joining us online. Would you help me just welcome our Global X fam, those who are, wherever you're watching this from, or maybe whatever day you're watching this, we're honored to have you connect in this moment. And I love Easter. I I get excited every Easter. It kind of, is just one of those um, days that I hope it's more than just Easter baskets and chocolate candy and Maybe for some of you, it's not. Maybe this is all new, being in the church today. Um, maybe you never thought it would be quite this rowdy in a church today, but you came Dexter, So that's what you're gonna get when you show up here. We, we, we live like he's alive, we celebrate like he's alive. We worship like he's alive. We spend, we spend our lives like he's alive. It's, it's not a religion to us, it's real. And uh, so that's why some people are not just dressed up, but fired up today in this house. And um, you know, I, I love Easter traditions. I really do, but this is my favorite part of it. You know, we do all the fun stuff too. And um, you know, our kids growing up, we did Easter baskets and, and my kids were all grown up and we still do Easter baskets. I'd, I asked my wife, I was like, when does this end? And she said, never. I, you know what I found out? Easter baskets just get more expensive the older they get. Sometimes I, I feel like I don't know if you're ready for Easter. Sometimes it feels like Easter sneaks up on you. Sometimes Christmas sneaks up on you, and it shouldn't, but sometimes it feels like it sneaks up on you. And, and, and I imagine on that very first Easter Sunday, it felt a lot like that that no one was expecting Jesus to come back. No one expected. In fact, Jesus even told his disciples several times before he even went to Jerusalem, he said, listen, they're going to arrest me. They're gonna kill me, but I'll be back, he said it. Arnold Schwarzenegger did not start that. That was Jesus, he said, I'll be back. And and yet they were all so surprised. And what I love about the Easter story is it is just an epic comeback story. Don't you love comeback stories? I feel like we love them, don't we? there's something about comeback stories when people defy all the odds and they overcome adversity and against all possible odds they they come back i i love all of them just like the cleveland cavaliers in 2016 when they were down three to one never ever done before but came back against the evil golden state warriors to win the national championship amen don't you love comeback stories I'll find you. Tiger Woods came back for the Masters. Yeah, any golfers in the house? I was, you know, um, there are people like Tom Brady that say they're retiring. And then they turn around and say, I'm coming back. I'm coming back. We thought Batman was banished forever by Bane. He said, I'm coming back. I'll, I'll find you. I'll find what you like somewhere. We, we all do. We love comeback stories, and I think there is no greater comeback story than Easter, where the devil thought he had won after that friday when they took jesus's lifeless body down and they stuck it into a tomb the devil thought he had won he just didn't realize there was a second half to the game and jesus showed up on sunday and said i am victorious i hold the keys to death hell and the grave in my hands and i don't think he just came back to stomp on the devil's head i think he came back for a personal reason too and I think maybe the greatest tragedy would be that we could get all hyped for Easter as some kind of just great comeback story, but never realize why he came back or who he came back for. It makes a difference. It makes a difference. so while you're standing, I want to read to you just a couple verses from our text. We're going to be in John chapter 20. There's Very limited passages I have to choose from on Easter Sunday, but they're all great, so it doesn't matter. In John chapter 20, verse 24 and 25, we're going to look at a character in the Easter story that maybe needs a little bit more airplay, if that's okay. It says this, now Thomas, also known as Didymus. Everybody say Didymus. Didymus. Some of you didn't know that was his name, Didymus, right? What they called him. He was one of the 12 who was not with the disciples when Jesus came back. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were, and unless I put my hands into his side, I will not believe. And I don't know where you, I don't know where you land on, on the spectrum of faith, belief. You don't believe but you're here anyways can I just tell you um you are in the right place today if you're wondering if Jesus is real I'm telling you I can sense that he's in this room he's here and I believe that he wants to speak to you specifically each of us so would you just take a moment let's bow our heads and let's maybe you've never prayed before but maybe this is a moment where just internally you just say God if you're real show me I came because somebody invited me, but I don't know why I'm here. God, if you're real, show me. Father, I pray in these next few moments together that this would not just be a church service, but God, it would be an encounter with a risen Jesus. So I'm asking now that God, you'd help me to get out of the way so that you could reveal yourself however you need to those who are here and need it. God, we all need it. God, I don't want this Easter to pass by as another holiday where we just celebrate this big story, but I don't realize how much it means to me. Thank you, Jesus, for dying for me. Thank you, Jesus, for coming back for me. And now, God, I ask you to deliver your word. We pray all these things in the matchless name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. And everybody said? Come on, can we give him praise today? Amen, amen. You can be seated. You know, um, Thomas makes a cameo appearance in churches worldwide only about one time per year. There's only one time. You know, Thomas was actually one of the 12 disciples that Jesus invited to follow him for three years of his ministry and yet there's so very little that we know about Thomas. Most of his scenes got left on the cutting room floor. I mean you think about like as you read the gospel accounts there's only a few places where we encounter Thomas and this is probably the most significant one. This is the one that actually gets the most airplay. And when you think about Thomas you undoubtedly think about the nickname that he has picked up throughout human history and we all refer to him as none other than what say it out loud as doubting. yeah doubting thomas that that's like the nickname that he's picked up you know it, it actually i don't know if you notice he already had a nickname that thomas the one we call doubting thomas they would actually call Didymus. And the reason why they called him Didymus, which means twin, is because more than likely he probably had a twin brother. And so they didn't use last names. What they would do is they would differentiate somebody based on a unique characteristic of their life, where they came from. That's why you'll hear people call him Jesus of Nazareth. It's how, how you distinguish that person. And so Tom, he was known as the twin Thomas the twin. I I found that fascinating because he's known mostly as one of two and not one of a kind. But what's interesting is that this guy who was dubbed Thomas the twin, now throughout human history has been renamed to Doubting Didymus or Doubting Diddy. That's what we call him. He's forever known as the doubter. How would you like it? If the world remembered you for your worst moment. Most of us are so grateful that our worst moment has never been played for everybody else. But how would you like it if at your lowest moment, kind of one of your most embarrassing moments, if there was a label stuck on you that you carried around all because of that one moment. I think we would hate that. In fact, the truth is though, many of you might actually feel like that today. You you could be someone that maybe in your early twenties, you made one really bad decision and what you've been stuck with for the rest of your life is a police record. And no matter where you go, whatever you do, you can't, you can't get rid of it. You go to job applications and you got to put it on there. Or it could be that maybe you um, got divorced And you kind of carry the weight. Some of you maybe feel the shame of what you did that maybe caused the divorce into every future relationship. What is it? I don't know. I think a lot of us, if if we had our lowest moment on display, it could be that when you were in high school, you hung out with maybe the, the wrong people. You didn't realize it then. And you end up picking up an addiction along the way. That it, it taken you years, maybe decades, and maybe now that you've gotten some help and you, you, you've been able to overcome the addiction. But you know what you'll learn when you go to recovery? You know what they'll tell you? Once an addict, always an addict. I'm a recovering addict, but I'm still an addict, right? It's like this label that just kind of hangs with you. Could you imagine if maybe your lowest moment was something that everybody just, that's all they knew about you from that point forward it kind of reminds me of my oldest daughter lauren she um she was just a couple of weeks ago reminding me once again of the single frame of the movie that is my parenting that she has locked away in her vault of memories No, I I, I kid you not. My my oldest daughter has moved out. She's married. She's on her own. We're together a couple weeks ago, and she constantly does this. She reminds me of the one scene from my parenting career that she has never forgotten. It is the one thing that she remembers forever. We were sitting at lunch, and she said, Dad, I was thinking about this the other day. Do you remember that one time when you cussed at me on Christmas? You remember that time you cussed at me on Christmas? This is what she said. This she brings this up all the time. I've spent over 150,000 hours raising her, loving her, caring for her, providing for her, giving her everything she needs to be successful in life. And yet the only thing she can remember is that one particular Christmas when I cussed at her. Now listen, in my defense, you should have seen what she did. Okay, I'm just, And you know, some of you are like, hey pastor, we understand everybody has a past. I need you to know this, this happened when I was a pastor, okay? This wasn't before, this is when I was a pastor. And, um, but, but again, like in context, you got to understand, like we're Christmas, this is big moment, and she's fighting with her sister. We told her to stop fighting with her sister, and next thing you know, she shoves her sister, who flies off of a couch, smack onto the hard floor. She's crying like she is, you know, broken, and I lost it, and I thought, better than losing it physically. I might have just erupted emotionally, and I looked at her, and I said, Lauren, get your butt upstairs to your room. I use a different word, but can we all agree it's not the worst cuss word you could use? I mean, come on, it's in the King James. Is it that bad? Maybe different context, but. And as well, to my defense, this is, Not the first time she has tried to take her sister out. In fact, when she was, Audrey was a baby, there was a moment when Lauren stuffed a pillow over her head and was holding it over her. So you can understand my reaction now a little bit, but I feel like it's the only thing she remembers. Like it's the only thing she brings up all the time. Like somehow I've become this dirty mouth dad that all the time, right, where I'm the profane parent. Oh, my wife, she's the nice one. I'm the profane parent. I feel like it's really unfair to have one of your lowest moments become the defining moment of your life. Wouldn't you agree? And I also think it's kind of unfair to Thomas that he missed the one moment that changed everything for the other disciples. See, he missed it. So I, I, I need to back up and show you this if, you, if you're not aware of the story Because a few verses earlier in John 20, verses 19 and 20, this is what happened on the first day, the actual day of Easter. Jesus had risen from the grave early in the morning, but the disciples had not had an opportunity to know that he had. And so in verse 19, it says, That Sunday evening, the disciples were meeting behind locked doors because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. They thought they were going to come and get them next. Suddenly Jesus was standing there among them. Peace be with you, he said. And as he spoke, he showed them the wounds in his hands and in his side, and they were filled with joy when they saw the Lord. I love this story because Jesus knows how to make an entrance, doesn't he? They're all behind locked doors, why? Because they had followed him for three years, and now that the leader was killed, they thought they would all come for them. And so they're hiding out in fear behind locked doors, hoping the Jewish leaders aren't coming for them next. And all of a sudden, Jesus just appears in the room. I want you to consider this. He didn't knock on the door. Hey, guys, it's me. Who's me? No, it's Jesus. No, it's not Je-. He didn't even bother with that. He just, just slid right in through the door. Now, some of you are going, how in the world can he do that? I don't know. He just got up from the dead. Is it that big of a deal to slide through the walls? Come on. And he just pops in. Now, Okay. How terrific or terrifying would that be? Like, I want you to put this in context. Maybe someone that in your family passed away years ago, your grandmother, grandfather, okay, they died. And, and maybe, you know, days later, and your family is getting together, and kind of remember them sitting around the table, sharing memories, going around the table. Next thing you look over, there's grandma. I mean, this is what it's like. Jesus, he's just there. And he's like, hey, guys, don't freak out. Peace, peace. And you know what? I think... I think um, They probably were rubbing their eyes. Are we seeing a ghost? And Jesus like, no, look. No, look, he had to show them. No, look. Now, here's what's interesting. Jesus shows up, but the 11 weren't there. Judas is already gone, the 11 weren't there. There There's only 10 of them. Because Thomas wasn't in the room. Now, can you imagine, like, FOMO is a real thing today, but could you imagine the FOMO Thomas, Thomas felt? when they found him the next day. And they're like, Thomas, you missed it. Jesus showed up in the room, didn't knock, whew, just slid right in there. Oh my God, it was, we ate dinner, it was incredible. You missed it, Thomas. And Thomas like, there's no way, there's no way. Now there have been um, for ages speculation as to why Thomas wasn't in the room. You've probably heard some. I've heard all these different theories. We don't know, scripture doesn't tell us. Why wasn't Thomas in the room? And, and I think a lot of times what we've done based on Thomas's response, I'm not going to believe unless I see it, is that we, ima- we immediately jump to conclusions. Oh, Thomas, Thomas wasn't there because he was mad. Thomas wasn't there because he didn't believe. Thomas wasn't there because he was angry. Thomas wasn't there because he was hurting. Thomas. We don't know why Thomas wasn't there. Thomas might not have been there because he went to go get the pizzas. We don't know. Thomas might have had a family emergency in the town next door and he had to go visit his family. We don't know. Thomas might have been going to meet an informant that he had to find out what the Jewish religious leaders were doing and whether or not they were gonna come after us. Thomas, we don't know why he wasn't there. And so I I guess this is my perspective. Isn't it a little bit unfair to single Thomas out? To label forever the doubter, the skeptic, the one without faith, it seems a little bit unfair to me. So much so that I was reading through this account, and if you read it parallel with some other ones, you know what I realized? I realized John, who wrote this, who was in the room, left out some details that I found kind of fascinating. John John got to write his narrative, and he writes it in a certain way, But the truth is, if you want to know how everybody really felt in this moment, you might have to interview some other ones. In fact, there was a guy that shared some details that John doesn't share that wasn't in the room. His name was Luke. And Luke wasn't in the room because Luke was not a believer. Luke, at this point, was was not with them. And only later would Luke come back and interview all of them And so you have to look at Luke's account if you want to fill in some of the gaps that John leaves out. And so I was reading this in Luke chapter 24. Let me read this to you. This is a moment right after the women had gone to the tomb early on a Sunday morning and they had hoped somehow they would be able to anoint Jesus' body for burial that they couldn't do before the Sabbath. And when they got there, the stone was rolled out from blocking the tomb, and it was empty, and there was an angel that met them and said, Jesus is alive, he's risen, go back and tell the rest of them. And so Luke tells us what happened in that moment. Luke 24, verse 9, it says, so the women, they rushed back from the tomb to tell his 11 disciples. Like one, two, I guess that includes Thomas and all the rest of them. Oh, and everyone else. What had happened? It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and several other women who told the apostles what had happened. Look at verse 11. But the story sounded like nonsense to the men, so they didn't what? They, what is it they say? Say it out loud. They didn't? They didn't believe them. You guys are crazy. Dead people don't come back to life. What are you talking about? The, the, all of them, they didn't believe them. So much so it says in verse 12 that Peter, he jumped up and he ran to the tomb to look. And stooping, he peered in, and he saw the empty linen wrappings. Then it says, listen to this, he went home again, wondering what had happened. I wonder what happened. Like, I mean, they said they saw an angel. That doesn't make sense. And then I went to the tomb, and it was empty, and I see the linens that they wrapped He's not there. And I, just, I mean, I know Jesus told us before he was arrested, that he would be arrested, killed, and he would come back on the third day, Friday, Saturday. I I guess this is, a, I don't know what happened. This is Peter. This is Peter. To me, it seems like James, that Thomas is getting a bad rap. He's a doubter. I think we should be talking about doubting Peter and doubting James and doubting John and doubting Bartholomew. I think we should be talking about all of them because none of them believed it until they saw him. And I think it's a little bit unfair to Thomas and maybe a little bit unfair to anyone else who wrestles with doubt to automatically say that because you have doubt that you can't believe. That because you doubt you're the worst kind of skeptic because you doubt. See, I was thinking about how Thomas had doubts, and and then I thought to myself, maybe if we were just honest and we drop our Easter facade. I know we got our Easter outfits on, and I know we come and it's a big day, and so we know we should do certain things. Maybe some of you are going to church, you do that on Easter because it's it's an important day. But what if we just dropped all that for a moment? I wonder if there's some of you maybe here today that would say, I. I was raised to believe, but my thoughts tend to betray me, and I, I don't like to tell anybody. I don't tell my, my wife or my husband. I don't, I don't breathe a word about it in front of my grandmother because she, she took me to church when I was a kid. And I don't tell anybody, but maybe deep down inside it bothers you, that you doubt. And I want you to hear something today. You know, there's actually a lot of reasons to doubt in our world. There's a lot of reasons why we doubt. I think sometimes we doubt when reality, the life that we experience, doesn't match up with what we've been told. You know, it's like God is good. But how come life isn't good then? Or have we been told, God loves you? But then, the people that follow him treat you like an outcast. And you're like, I don't, I don't understand. It's not lining up for me. Or maybe some of the Sunday school stories that you were told, you got to college and a professor said, that's not true. You know, it just doesn't line up. And so we start to have questions. Sometimes our faith will go through seasons where it's more questions than answers. And it, it could be that. It, could be you've experienced such disappointment in your life. You know, you pictured your life was going to go a certain way, and you, you thought for sure that your life was going to turn out a certain way. And so many things have happened that you never expected that just derailed your life. And you're kind of like, maybe I want to say some of you might even be mad at God. You're mad at God because of what's happened. Or it could be something painful that you walk through. Because we all go through some painful things. It could be some real heartache. It could be losing someone too early, too soon. It it could be hardship that you experience in your body. And sometimes when, when the pain and suffering of life is so real and so palpable, sometimes it's in those moments that you're really questioning if there is a God out there and why he would allow you to suffer the way you're suffering. Can I just let you in on a little secret? Because I think sometimes it's easy to sit in a room like this and, and see people so excited for Easter and celebrating, and it's like, wow, well, I wish I could believe like they believe. I wish I didn't have these doubts like they don't have doubts. Can I let you in on a little secret? Don't tell anybody this, it's just you and me. All of us have doubts. All of us have doubts. In fact, I'll I'll go one further than that because it'll surprise some of you. This pastor at times has doubts. I do. There are times when I have serious doubts. And I know because I'm supposed to be the one with the answers, I'm not. I'm supposed to be the one with all the faith, I'm not. But this guy has doubts sometimes. There are times when I pray for things that I'll just be honest with you, that I doubt God's gonna answer them while I'm praying for him. I know you don't wanna hear that, especially when you come to me and ask me for prayer. I know, I'll, I'll believe for you, I will, I promise. I will. But I can't manufacture where I am sometimes in my faith. I wish I could, and I think sometimes we have that perspective of pastors. Can I just tell you? There are times, you know why? Because I've prayed for things so many times in my life, and then God didn't answer them the way I hoped he would, that sometimes... There I am praying for something else with so little faith going, I'm just, i going to pray because I think God's real, but I don't know that he's going to answer this prayer. There are times when I doubt that God has forgiven me of my sin. And so I just carry around like a sense of shame and that I'm not worthy and that I probably shouldn't even be a pastor. I don't know that, you know, he he would. There are times when I – there are times – I've had in my faith journey where I've even doubted if all this is real. Is all this real? Everything I'm giving my life for, everything I believe in, is all this real? Yeah, I've had doubts. Let's be honest, some of you probably have too. In fact, maybe my guess is that there are many of you here today, truth be told, you have doubts. Some of you, I just want to say there's some of you here today that you, you doubt that God is real. Please hear this. I'm glad you're here. We say it all the time. You don't have to believe to belong here. And, and there's some of you I know because some of you tell me. There's some of you that maybe believe there is a God out there, but this idea of Jesus, being him, the Son of God, seems so far-fetched. How, am I, how do I wrap my head around that? I don't know that that's real. There are some of you all say that maybe you believe that there is a God, but you have a hard time believing that that God believes in you. Or maybe you believe that God is love, but you doubt that you're worthy of that love. Or maybe you're so skeptical of God, of church, religion, that maybe it's a miracle that you're actually even here you're watching this moment can I just tell you something about doubt I think so often even in Christian circles you know there's a lot of shade thrown on people that ask really hard questions and go through ups and downs and valleys and peaks in their faith and maybe even get to a point where they go I'm just not really sure I believe anymore I understand that but I actually think that having doubt doesn't disqualify you from being a person of faith can I say that again? I actually think that having some doubt doesn't disagree. You might go, wait, it, it, of course it would. No. In fact, I, I would go even further and say, I actually think that doubt might be the first step toward faith. So if you go, I, I got a lot of doubts. Well, I'm glad you're here. But just by showing up in the room, you don't know this, you might have taken your first step toward faith with your doubts. And here's what I want you to know about the story of Jesus and his comeback story. It's that Jesus didn't just come back. He didn't just come back for those who believed. In fact, I'll go so far as to say Jesus actually came back for those who didn't believe. Because that was all of them. Jesus came back for the skeptic like Thomas Jesus came back for the other disciples who didn't believe in Peter who walked away from the tomb going, I don't even know what happened. Jesus didn't just come back for those who believed. And when I look at the story of Jesus, one of the things I love the most is that he came back to those who did not believe in him. I think about people like James, his half brother, who the gospel accounts say his brothers did not believe. I mean, come on, well, what would it take to convince you, that, convince your brother or your sister that you are the son of God? They did not believe. That, Some accounts say he wasn't even at his death, his crucifixion. And yet, what do we find in the book of Acts? James is the guy who is leading the church. Why? Because Jesus came back for James. And he said, look at my scars. I came back for you, James. Or I think about Peter. Peter was not only a doubter, Peter was the denier. Peter was the one who, when Jesus was arrested, he sat there around the fire, and over and over again, he denied even knowing Jesus, so much so trying to convince people that he cussed in that moment. I just want to point out, I'm not the only one. <laughs> I, think, I think about Saul that we know as Paul. Who was actually not only did he not believe in Jesus, but was actually trying to get rid of those who did until Jesus came back for him. And I know some of you might be here and you're going, Man, that's great. I'm I'm so glad that Jesus did that for them. But I I feel like maybe I've missed that kind of moment. I feel like maybe it's it's too late. Maybe some of you, you, there was a time when you believed, but because of all the things that have happened, maybe you've gotten so far away from it. You said, it's just so hard to believe. I understand. I understand we have doubts. So that's the way Thomas felt. All the rest of them got to experience, I didn't. He said, I'm not gonna believe. I'm not gonna believe. So here's what Jesus did. Oh, I love this. This is what Jesus did for Thomas. In verse 26, it says that a week later, his disciples were in the house again. And this time, who was with them? Say it out loud. And Thomas was there. You know, so for all all the harsh stories about how awful Thomas was as a skeptic, here's what I like. A week later, Thomas was there. And though the doors were locked, Jesus did that trick again. He just came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. And then he turns to Thomas and he said to Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands? Reach out. Put your hand in my side. Stop doubting and believe. And Thomas, of course, at that moment said to him, my Lord and my God. And then Jesus told him, because you've seen me, you have believed. Now this part I think Jesus said for all of us, blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. You know, John records not just the first moment that he saw Jesus, but the second moment. And it just so happens that a week later, same scenario, they're locked into a room, hiding out in fear. This time Thomas was there and Jesus shows up again. You know what's interesting? I was reading this and John, this again, his narrative. The only thing that John records about their second visit with Jesus is the exchange with Thomas. Think about that. You just had a second encounter with a risen Jesus. And the only thing that you write down, like the only thing that seemed to matter for John and all the rest of them was the conversation that Jesus had with Thomas. And I thought, isn't that so Jesus? There's a room full Why did Jesus come back a second time? What was different? Thomas was there. It's so like Jesus, when you look at his life and here's what you discover, Jesus always focused on the one. He always saw the one he always did things for the one. When they went to the synagogue, and, and this is church as usual, but there's a guy there with a shriveled hand. What does Jesus do? He pulls him up in front of everybody and heals him on the Sabbath because he saw the one. When he pushed through the crowd of people, and everybody was crowding around him, and there was one woman who had an issue of bleeding for 12 years, and she reached out and she touched the hem of his garment, and power went out from him. Jesus stopped and he said, Who touched me? and the disciples said Jesus everybody's touching you he said no there was one person that touched me there was one person that had power that go out of me there was one person that was healed and it was a woman because of the faith just to reach out and touch him or I think about when Jesus went through a town called Jericho and in there he stopped with a crowd of people right at the base of a tree a sycamore tree and he looks up and he sees a short man named Zacchaeus a tax collector that everyone hated And with a crowd of people around, what does he do? He says, Zacchaeus, come down from here. We're gonna go have lunch at your house. Here's what I know about Jesus. He always seemed to do it for the one. And Jesus wanted us to know God's heart. So he tells a story in Luke 15 of a good shepherd. He says, you wanna know what God's like? He's like a good shepherd. No, he might have a hundred sheep. When one wanders away, he will leave the 99. I want to say it like this. He'll leave the 99 that do believe and go after the one skeptic that has wandered away. He'll leave the 99 that are safe and secure, and he'll go after the one who is wandering off on their own path, doing their own thing. Why? Because this is the heart of God. And so when I think about Jesus's death and his resurrection, you know what I think about? I think about, yes, Jesus came and he died for the sins of the world. That's your sins and that's my sin. But when I think about him coming back, I like to think of it this way, he came back for one. He came back for the one, he came back for the one. If he will come back for someone like Thomas, who was a skeptic, who was hurt, who's disappointed, who said, I'm not gonna believe unless I get a mountain of evidence. If he came back for Thomas, listen, won't he come back for you? And wouldn't he come back for me? See, I believe that Jesus, he may have died for the world, but he came back for me. You say, how, how do I have a moment like Thomas? Because some of you doubt has plagued your mind for months, years. All you have to do is be in the room. All you had to do was be in the room. I want to say it this way there's some of you that never thought you'd be in church today maybe you say i'm thomas that's okay there's a reason you're in the room today because jesus is here his presence is here i think some of you feel it i think some of you know that i'm talking to you or shall i say that god's talking to you today Maybe for the first time in a long time, you feel drawn to him. It's because he's in the room. He's in the room. And he offers an invitation to us. All we have to do is reach out for him. He showed him the scars. You know, I thought about the fact that Jesus had scars. I mean, yeah, I know he he was wounded. But I thought this is the same, wait, the same God that raised a dead man from the. I figure God could have done plastic surgery well enough that he didn't have scars. For whatever reason, Jesus kept the scars. And I don't think he kept them as a reminder to himself of the pain and the agony that he endured on the cross. I think he kept them to show you and me. I think he kept them to show us. You know what the scars are? They're a sign of his love. He's given us a lot of reasons that we could believe in him. I know you can think of a million reasons why you can't, but I also believe there's a lot of reasons why you can believe in him. He gave us an empty tomb. He gave us, he gave us many people that saw those scars that, listened, gave their life for what they believed. He has enabled us to maybe see the life of somebody around us that carries a joy and a peace and a love in them Did you say, I wish I had what they have? Can I tell you what they have? They have the presence of Jesus, a risen Jesus in them. He's given us a lot of signs to see his love. In fact, I want to say this, even for those of you who say, I'm a doubter, I'm an atheist, I don't believe. He gave you the greatest sign because you're in the room today. You're here. You've had enough courage to come in here today. And I'm telling you, Jesus came back for you. He came back for you. Would you stand to your feet with me? I would love for us to create a moment as we're in a room and so was Jesus when he showed up a week later for Thomas. Jesus is here for you. And so I wanna ask you just to bow your heads and just maybe close your eyes and rather than just doing the obligatory thing, which is listening to the preacher pray, I wanna ask you in just a quiet moment I want you just to picture that you're maybe all alone in a room. And Jesus is there. He didn't come back for anybody else but you. Just you. And he's showing you his scars and what he went through for you. I believe that some of you right now in this moment you would have classified yourself as the absolute skeptic or doubter. That's okay. You're just on a journey. And maybe today is taking a step because you're in the room and so is Jesus. And so as we're praying right now and you're having this moment with him, I want to give you an opportunity to reach out for him. See, Jesus is holding out his arms and his side, but Like he told Thomas, reach out and put your hand here. Some of you by faith today, you need to reach out. Some of you by faith today. I don't have a lot of faith. I got a lot of questions. I've got more doubt. That's okay. If you have enough faith in this moment to reach out for him, he's going to show you who he is. Father, I pray right now for those that are in this room, those who are watching this in their room. I feel so far from you. That have allowed questions and doubts and worries and insecurities drive them away from you, Father. I pray that you would give them the faith right now to receive you. Listen, if if you're here today and you're saying I want to reach out for him, I want you to hear that Jesus went to the cross and he died a sinner's death, though he was the sinless Son of God. And he did that so he could be the only one who could take away your guilt and your shame for your sin. And the Bible says, anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. What will you be saved from? Saved from yourself, saved from your guilt, saved from your sin. And so today, maybe in this moment, with the ounce of faith that you have, today is that moment for you to reach out to him. It's that moment for you to say, today I believe. With what? I I might have a lot of doubts and questions. That's okay. Today all you have to do is with the little bit of faith you have, say, today I reach out for you. If that's your desire today, maybe some of you walked away. There was a time when you believed, but you have walked away. Others of you, it's your first time really in a moment of coming to Jesus. I'm gonna lead you in just a little moment of faith with you and God. It's just you and God. It's in your heart. This is what you say to God. Just repeat after me right where you are. You say, today, Jesus, I reach out for you. Today, I place my faith, what little bit of faith I have in you. I believe that you're in the room with me. And I ask you to forgive me of my sin." today I give my life to you. Today I wanna know you, show me who you are. Show me who you are, but I'm gonna follow you. Listen, as we're still praying, I believe maybe many of you prayed that with me today. It's a day of coming back to him. This is your comeback story. Easter's not just Jesus' comeback story. Maybe today is your comeback story where you are coming back to the Father, where you're coming back to Him today. If that was you, on the count of three, I'm just going to ask you to lift your hand when I count to three just to hold it up and keep it up for a moment. And I want to just see you, and we just want to be able to celebrate you. But on the count of three, if that was your prayer and your decision, I want you to boldly stick your hand in the air and say, that is me today. Today I'm a new person in Christ Jesus. On the count of three. One, two, three. Lift your hand if that's you. Lift your hand. Hold them up. Hold them up. I want to see you. Keep them up. I see all of you. I see you guys right there. I see you up there, dear. Hold them up. Hold them up. I see you guys right here, right over here. I see you. Keep your hands up. I want to see you. Praise God. I see you guys, all of you over there. I want to greet you. Come on, we're going to celebrate. Come on, X Church. We can do better than that. Come on, if that's you, hold your hand up. Hold your hand up. I want to know you. Praise God. Any others? Any others? Yeah. Can I just say, welcome to the family of God. I don't care what you did. God doesn't care what you did before this moment. You are a new creation. You are a new person from this moment forward. Woo! Yeah. Amen. 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 Thanks so much for tuning in to this message. I hope that it encouraged you and inspired your faith. If God is doing something in your life, Would you take a moment and let us know? We want to connect with you and we want to be able to pray for you. All you have to do is shoot us an email to hello at the x.church or you can always send us a DM on one of our social media platforms. And if you know somebody that would also be encouraged by this very message, why not take a moment and just share it with them right now? And as always, I want to say thank you to every single person who so generously financially supports this ministry so we can continue to get messages like these out to people all over the world. We believe God is building something special, and you're a significant part of it. Until next time, have a great day.